Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I'm your host, Sean Needham, and I am excited about our topic today. We are having some difficulty getting a hold of um, Evan Transu, but he talks about uh, discussing, we're going to discuss chronic disease and changing from um, victim to victor. And we talk about this a lot. He wrote a book on it. Um, he also has a podcast. You'll have to go check him out. Um, I really wanted him to share his story today because he uh, comes from a background. Um, he had some mental health challenges as, as, as a kid, and he was going to discuss how he overcame those with um, diet. Um, so don't forget about that. Any kid that has been diagnosed with ADHD, bipolar, depression, um, what have you, which our traditional medical system is so good about labeling kids um, with those diseases, and then, of course, prescribing drugs. Realize that they might not need those drugs. They might just need a diet change. And, of course, we talk about exercise a lot, too. There is no better treatment for depression than exercise, period. Um, exercise does so many beneficial things when it comes to um, depression and stimulating neurotransmitters in our brain um, that drugs are supposed to help stimulate. Um, and I don't think they do a very good job of it. Speaking of that, when we had uh, Kim Westchick on our podcast a few weeks ago, she talks about how her husband committed suicide after being on antidepressants. And I don't know if we discussed it in that show, but realize that um, 40% of patients in the antidepressant studies, 40% of them responded to placebo. Um, and just a few more than that responded to the antidepressants, which are called the SSRIs, Prozac, Zoloft, Celexa. I'm probably missing some. I know I am. Um, so that just tells you that, you know, how ineffective the drugs really are. And of course, they have horrible side side effects that are very difficult to get off of later on. It's like you got to wean off them because you can have withdrawals. So um, but let's get back on the topic, going from victim to victor. Um, so one of the things we, did, we talk a lot about is, you know, when we discuss um, weight loss, we, we hear a lot, well, it's genetic. I, I have genetics. So I have genetics. My mom was overweight. My dad was overweight. My family was overweight. So, and immediately when you do that and you, you say it's your genetics, it, it washes your, it literally washes your hands of your responsibility. Um, and I've seen it happen with many people. Same thing with cardiovascular disease. Well, you know, I've got a genetic predisposition to have cardiovascular disease. My dad had a heart attack when he was 45. And, you know, so I just know I'm going to, and well, that doesn't mean you should treat your body like crap. Remember, we can't change our genes. We cannot change our genes. That's something that is, you know, in, in us innately, but we can change the way they're expressed um, by how we treat our bodies, um, what, are, what lifestyle we, le we, we lead. Um, different genes are expressed, proteins are expressed differently depending on how we, what we put in our bodies, um, how we move our bodies. And it looks like Alan or uh, Evan is is coming in. Evan, how are you? Our show, good. I just introduced you really quickly, and I was talking about changing from victim to to victor, um, and talking of basically what I was talking about is um, genetics and how you know many times we we say well we have a genetic predisposition to be overweight or or um, you know have cardiovascular disease, and, and right away when we do that it washed our hands of our responsibility. And so anyway, I want you to just build on this and introduce yourself, Evan. Cool. Well, yeah, thank you for waiting for me. I mean, I have a, a wonderful, wonderful person who does some scheduling stuff. And I don't think they necessarily realize that there's two live events back to back. So I'm glad I got to be with you guys. I'm like, guys, I got to go. We got to get on this. Um, <laughs> right, right. So, yeah, I'm excited to be here. But yeah, brief background. Um, and we can, because I can spend a whole two-hour show on this, so I don't want to do that. We'll summarize it, and then if there's anything else to touch on or you want to extract, it's totally fine. So I actually started dealing with health issues at five years old, and at the time, it was in the forms of like migraine headaches, normal headaches, if you'll call them, and like stomach stuff. So nothing 
like shocking. It's nothing that you haven't heard of before. Uh, but knowing what I know now, I look back and realize that was actually a warning sign. It was a little weird. And here's the thing. So over time, this progressed. And by the age of 18, I had seven different diagnosed conditions. And this is kind of like the analogy or story, whatever you call it, of the frog being put into uh, the water that's not boiling yet, and then it boils over time. The issue with that is like the frog doesn't notice that it's getting boiled, but sure enough, that's exactly what happens. So I kind of felt like the frog in the pot and the water is just getting turned up, turned up, turned up. Um, thankfully, I'm still here with you guys today, but that boiling water uh, definitely hurt. And so I had different mental and physical health conditions. Uh, uh, diagnosed with at 18. Uh, none of them seem connected. I didn't have a holistic health background. And then I got some insights basically that led to me realizing, oh, these are intimately connected. And in fact, if I can figure out how to get rid of one, I can probably figure out how to get rid of the others. And that actually turned out to be true. I'm, I'm fast forwarding nine years now and thankful to be able to be here today saying I don't meet the diagnostic criteria for any of those conditions, which is awesome. And I, I only caught the tail end, but I love what you said about the genes almost taking away responsibility because an integral part of healing to me and in certainly my journey is personal responsibility for things that aren't our fault. So that's my little background and that catches us up to speed a little bit. <laughs> well, that's a great story. And I will tell you, you know, being a pharmacist, uh, my wife and I are both pharmacists and your story, however, every story is unique and yours sounds very, very um, unique and powerful. Um, it is not that untypical when somebody goes in, accesses the traditional healthcare system and one thing just builds on another. And next thing you know, somebody is on, you know, three different meds, five different meds, 20 different medications. And um, like you say, that's why it's important for us to take responsibility for our own health. And as a healthcare professional, I can help educate people and that's what I feel my purpose is. Um, but ultimately we have to educate and empower individuals to take charge of their own health. It's really the only way to do it. And it's not, it's supposed to be an empowering message, right? I think some people, a fraction of the population hears it initially and it almost uh, seems defeating. It's like, it's no, it's not that at all. We're, we're giving you the reins back. We're saying, hey, it's going to be a little harder than if someone could come wave a magic wand and fix it for you. Trust me, I'd like that too. We're not there yet in healthcare. That's not how we do these things. And so here's the reins. You can figure it out. Going to be a little bit of a journey. But there's also um, a really beautiful side to this because it's easy for me to say this on the other side, and I acknowledge that, but I find that the health journey is more of a personal development journey than it even is a health thing. I could give you all the right tools today to help you with your health. We could run the labs and get you the results in a few weeks. Like We could tell you all that stuff, but most people don't change overnight. There, there's other things that go into this. There's things that we need to give up to kind of go up. And I always like to use the picture. It's, it's a little cheesy, but I love it of like a hot air balloon, right? You got to let go of certain things and then you can move and move uh, higher and higher. So that's kind of how it is with the health thing. And I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, I could look back and say, man, it sucks that my entire childhood and teenage years uh, led to all this bad stuff. But then at the same time, I wouldn't be able to do the work that I do today. I enjoy every second of work where most people, let's call it what it is, unfortunately go to work for 40, 50 hours a week and they can't wait to go home. Uh, I don't think like that. So there's always gifts on the other side of the things that we, we seem to have been cursed with. Um, we just have to change that perspective. That's awesome. Uh, very, very powerful story. Um, and, you know, I'll tell you, we have a lot in common because I feel the same way. I mean, I absolutely love my wife. And I absolutely love what we do. We've created a niche of what we do and we absolutely love it. And we and we embrace we embrace work um, because we love it so much. So um, and I think that's a mindset, too, as you know. Yeah. Well, you got to do it anyway. I'm, I, I remember reading the personal development stuff at 18, and I might have been doing it for health stuff at, at first, kind of. Uh, but then I, I applied it to business and, and life. I'm like, wait, I got to do this for a minimum of 40 years, most likely. Some people can do it faster, but a lot of people are longer nowadays. And you're telling me I got to do it Monday through Friday, and it's going to be eight hours of work at least. And then I'm going to have to maybe do a commute and things. And I don't do the commute now, obviously, as I'm sitting in my home doing this. But right. when you think about it that way, I just took this and said, well, why would I want to hate what I'm doing all that time? Or at the very least, if I'm starting out with something that's not ideal, because yes, I'm in a much better position now work-wise than I was nine years ago. I love every aspect of my work now. Nine years ago was maybe 50-50, and it gets a little better over time. 
But but the thing is, it's like even if it can't be perfect in the moment, I'm not suggesting that it's a utopia from day one just by changing your mindset. But you got to have something to work towards. And it's like even if it was going to take you five to ten years, all right, cool. Well, seventy five percent of your working years are still going to be fantastic then because you put in the ten years to do it. And I think the other problem is, and you know this uh, all too well, it's like when we're when we're seeing the shifts in in society and in my generation, especially everyone's so short term. It's like, how can I get rich in a year? It's like, dude, that's not how this works. Like, you know, you gotta have a long-term plan and a lot of people are not willing to execute on it anymore. The good news is for those that are willing to execute on long-term plans, there are advantages in today's world. There is the internet. Things can be done faster than ever before. So if you're even willing to do it a little bit, the results that you will get will surpass anyone that's older than you and your family for the most part because they were on a a longer term plan. So I'm just, I'm grateful for it. And I I think people need to think that way. We do live in an instant gratification world and especially your generation are a little bit younger too, um, or even a little bit older than you. Um, You know, they weren't taught delayed gratification Mm -hmm. that it takes years to, to build what their parents has built. They expected it right away. Yeah. Um, And I I tell my kids, I have two boys and they are 23 and 21. And I said, you know, the great news is about your generation. Um, it's going to be pretty easy to compete with them. Show up and work and you will do better than 90% of everybody. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Yeah. How many podcast episodes do you have? What's that? How many podcast episodes do you have? I, uh, 396, somewhere around there, 390, something like that. Perfect example. I just looked this up uh, a couple weeks ago. Do you know if you do 20 podcast episodes of one single podcast, like one show has to have the 20, it can't be a bunch of different ones. You're in the 90th percentile already of podcasts because most podcasts start, they don't even do 20. I'm like, you just how arrogant do we need to be to as individuals to think that the world's just going to flock to us the second that we start saying something like you show up 396 times and maybe people start paying attention, right? They realize it's first and serious. (laughs) Well, and I will say too, Evan, um, there's a lot that we started our podcast in 2019 and it was just perfect timing. And, um, you know, there are a lot of people that have reached out to me about, you know, starting a podcast. And, and I said this, I said, okay, I mean, I, I think it's a great idea and it's really not that difficult, but here's what you need to do. You need to commit to at least two episodes a month and, and be regular about it. Have it the same day, twice a month. Um, but probably more like more likely one episode a week mm-hmm. and and commit to it. And many people just can't do that. Yeah. And and that's where it all, I mean, this all ties in together. It's kind of cool that we're also mentioning this stuff because this is the business side and the mindset side is as much apart from me as of my passion as the health side. And it all goes together, like we said. Absolutely. But yeah, yeah. they'll they'll say. Because it's not really the goal. The goal was never even to have a podcast. The goal was to make a bunch of money or or do whatever, right? And so when that's the goal, of course you're going to quit anything that doesn't work immediately. Versus if you say, I'm doing a podcast, I'm sticking with it, and I'm going to figure this out. When that's the mindset, you figure it out. And so it was actually a really similar. So in 2019, my, my friend that's really big online, he told me to start a podcast. I'm like, yo, I don't know how to do that. He's like, bro, you just get a mic and you start talking. I actually didn't have a mic for the first 50 of this podcast that I used to do. I used the phone. I used the Anchor app of all things. Right? Yeah, I was going to say, you really don't even need a, a microphone anymore. You can use your phone. And I know some <laughs> podcasts that have big followings and that's all they've done. Yeah. But then it's like, this was the transgression. It's like that never got paid a dime, never got significant listeners from it, but it gave me experience. Then this opportunity came to do a local radio show. Now, to be clear, I wasn't some big time. I had to pay the radio show to be there, but I got to do some radio stuff, get the experience live with that. FDN, the company that we're talking about, um, well, kind of talking about today, I suppose, and that I work for and I have a certification with six years ago, they noticed that I had a health show on the radio. Now, remember, I'm paying to be there. I'm not making a dime off that show. And they say, wow, you're pretty good at this. You have experience? I'm like, yeah, I have like 100 episodes at this point that I've all done for free. They ended up paying me to do a show for them still to this day that was more valuable monetary-wise than my first job in the real world, right? And so it's not an overnight thing. And for you guys listening, if you did a podcast or whatever, maybe it's like you get clients or whatever it is that you offer, but that's two years. And two years is not long to get that result, in my opinion. Uh, That's why we were saying everything's like accelerated in today's world. If you can just show up for two years, three years sometimes at one thing, you're good to go. Before it was like 20 
for my definitely for my grandparents and stuff. It was 20 and you might not even still have a shot. Two to three years, like that's crazy. Like I'll do anything for two to three years and give it a shot now. <laughs> well, and and making the analogy with your health, yeah. imagine if you commit to something that's healthy for two years. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, seriously, you know, um, and that that's what it takes. It doesn't, you know, it's not gonna happen in a month. If you want to, you know, be healthy and you're starting out a hundred pounds overweight. You're, you're not going to be healthy in a month. You're not going to really be healthy in six months. You know, it's going to take a couple year journey for that to happen. Yeah. And I think that's what you just said. There lies the difference. It's a decision that I, I'm getting healthy. I'm, uh, this is the new me. It's a new identity. It's a new shift. And then the work and the showing up every week, that just becomes routine. That's just part of the process because you already yeah. made that decision. So um, I love that. I, I love that. We, we have we have another analogy because when we started our our podcast, we actually started on a live radio show every week. Nice. And it was a lot of fun. And it it actually made us commit to, you know, every Monday we had a radio show. So that was one of the reasons that we were able to just expand our podcast because we just, we were committed. And, um, you know, so, and yeah, live radio is super fun. Well, and that's the thing too. You build a skill, right? Because you kind of just, I mean, I stumble all the time. I've stumbled already on this podcast. We've only been talking for 10 minutes. And the thing is though, when you do that live aspect, I love what you said. It teaches you to kind of just roll with the punches. Like, yes, you're going to stumble. Yes, you're going to use filler words. Try to get better in the future, but now is not the time to say, oh, sorry, everyone. I, I got to pause really quick. It's like, bro, you're live. Like someone's in the car. Just, Grandma's just in going. the car listening to your AM radio. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's awesome. So, so tell us, did, did you start a podcast or write a book first? The podcast was first. It was called Overcoming Mental Health Challenges. I've left the episodes there because it doesn't cost me anything to host it on Anchor. Um, And there's no paid advertisements. It's very, again, like bad quality. I recorded some of these at the park on speakerphone. Um, (laughs) But the stories were amazing. So I started with that. And then uh, the book was published in February of 2020. Okay, yeah. And this is actually the radio show that got saved as a podcast. So you can tell I'm slightly less hairy then. Um, But (laughs) yeah, that would would be a bit younger. And so this was the Health Coach Ev show. But how crazy is this? Look, that's only 29 episodes. So it was 29 weeks because that was one show a week. And that thing led to, bam, getting picked up by FDN to to go do this other show. So it's amazing. But yeah, this was the radio show. That quality is amazing. Awesome. Um, so tell us a little bit about your your book then, because you do have a book um, regarding uh, mental health, correct? And, and yeah. your history. Yeah, well, and thank you, because I honestly don't, I really don't get that much of a chance to promote it. I wrote that, a lot of that was for me. Um, and I don't mean that selfishly, but it's like, I knew I needed to get this story out on paper. I had been through a ton of mental health stuff starting super young. And I did therapy, I did the counseling, and it worked. Most of the stuff I actually got the resolution with was the health side. But writing that book helped me grow. I had to relive certain things, go back through it. And you know what's cool? Again, I mean, this is what? It's like I'm like nine ratings, right? It's not something I, I promote. I don't promote it on social or personally. I'm not against it. It's just, again, it was for me first. But even the people that have read it and the things that I've gotten back feedback-wise that's all it's about. Like if you impact one person's life with something as serious as mental health, and this is the reason that they don't end up, you know, taking their own life and they, they continue on the path to try different things. Uh, one time that was worth it. So in terms of like maybe the loss, if I don't even want to word it this way, but the, the projects that have really blown up in my life versus the ones that haven't, it's definitely the latter, but I'm still glad that I did it. And I, I hope it's a worthy read for the people that check it out. Uh, it's $9.99 on Amazon. And if anyone emails me, I literally send them the Kindle version for free. <laughs> Boy, your story sounds so familiar because my book's $9.99 too. And I'm kind of the same way. I give away a lot of free copies of my book. Yeah. I just want to get the story out there. Yes. Yeah. It's okay. And it's a good thing to do. It all comes back. It all comes back. Yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit about as a health coach, what, 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 what do you do? So for me, I, I, there's a slight difference between like the health coaching side and the health practitioner side. And I'm playing on the words. I'm not expecting anyone else to know this, but when I went through a health coaching certification prior to doing functional diagnostic nutrition, I got trained as an actual health coach, which in my definition, and I think in a broader definition too, I think this would be accepted is someone who helps an individual set and achieve certain goals for their health. So a health coach might not be 
uh, too niched. They might be if they're good at the marketing, but they don't necessarily have to be. I might have someone that is super athletic and wants to train for a marathon. I might have someone like we talked about before that's 100 pounds overweight and wants to get back to a stable state of health. It's more helping coach them to realize that vision. So it's actually a great thing in today's world because we're all so damn short-sighted, like we were mentioning, that the coach can be a really good solution or support network for not being so short-sighted. What we do at FDN, it's not that I'm I'm speaking down on health coaches, but it is certainly different. And I, I absolutely consider it a more advanced certification, challenging certification than the stuff I did prior. So we're learning actually how to interpret lab tests. And people don't realize that there's tons of self-tests out there that people can order themselves. Uh, so it's a completely legal thing. Like we're not doing something not by the book. Uh, you can actually have people run tests on themselves. You can be educated in that lab and give them insights based on what you saw. So it's super simple. So what I do now... Um, it's a lot of different things. Uh, when I was actively practicing like a ton, I, I usually just do a lot of the calls and marketing now. And then I facilitated that my business to different practitioners. So I have, uh, two and a half people under me. I say three, but it's really like two and a half people under me right now that are practitioners. What we do is we qualify the client on the first call. And so when I say qualify, it is making sure that someone's mindset is already kind of in that right place. Now, I hope their mindset would upgrade from working with us, and and that's a part of the process. But I can't, I know I'm not a great coach. I'm a great practitioner and educator. So I can't have someone that needs a bunch of that work. I'm going to just refer them out to someone who's more gifted in that area. I'm looking for the people, I help the people who are ready to go and just need extra insights. So by the time I found FDN, I I would have ate carrot sticks every single day for every meal if you told me that would have gotten my health challenges better. I was that dedicated to holistic healing and living a good life for myself finally that I would have done whatever it took if you could have showed me objectively why that was a smart thing to do. So we show people objectively what the smart thing to do is. And then we don't necessarily coach, although some do, uh, because they might have other certifications. Most of us guide people through that educational process so that they can make the proper habit changes and implementations in their life because they're going to have to change some things. Uh, you know, If you have a sensitivity to gluten, for example, you're not eating out at the same restaurants in the same way that you used to. And it's not to create a restricted lifestyle. This is all a game of pro versus con. For some people, they have mild health symptoms, like my grandmother, God bless her, love her to death. She's got this like IBS type of thing. And she's like almost 80. She's like 76. She's like, Ev, I don't want to change my diet. I'm going to take the medication in the morning. I'm going to deal with the IBS. If it gets worse, I'll talk to you. But like, I want to eat cheesesteaks. If I'm 20 years old and IBS is now affecting my social life and every other aspect of my life, maybe at work, right? My grandmom's retired and lives at her own house or apartment. So she's chilling. If it's affecting my work and social life every single day, yeah, okay, well, pros and cons. Now this is really affecting me. Maybe I'm willing to give up uh, some of those foods to get the health results I want. So it's all pros and cons. And we're looking for the people that have been, have gotten themselves to a point where they know that they're willing to do whatever it takes. So that's really what it looks like. Analyzing labs, figuring out what went wrong and helping them get that better. So tell us, uh, you must have a good story. People like hearing stories. So tell us a success story that you've recently had. Well, one recent one that was kind of amazing is this. Uh, he shared this publicly. That's why I'm using his name. His uh, name is Luke's, uh, Lucas Wolf. So in my bio, you probably saw that uh, for the last five years, I've been speaking professionally in schools uh, to kids about mm-hmm. mental health challenges. Now, what's fascinating is I met this guy through an organization. It's like a, it's not a speaker bureau, but for the sake of the call today, it's a speaker bureau. So it's where people can find different speakers that uh, talk on the same topic. And so I met Lucas through there. Now, I, in my book, talk about this difference between circumstantial and non-circumstantial mental health issues. That is not clinical. Don't go to your doctor with that. I made it up. Non-circumstantial mental health issues are those people who have mental health issues where, where they really can't understand why. Like, their life wasn't perfect, but maybe it was pretty good. They can't link it to a specific event. They're confused. That was me. I didn't grow up in, like, luxury, but I had... Two parents that loved me, they never got divorced, which uh, is a statistical kind of rarity, or at the very least, it's a 50-50 toss-up in today's world. They showed me what good leadership was. I I knew I was loved. I knew I had food on the table. I have a good life, so what's going on? Why do I have this? And then there's circumstantial mental health issues. These are the, the stories that we all understand. Someone was abused. 
and now they have depression or PTSD. Well, you don't need to be in the mental health space to understand why that person might be suffering. So let's forget the circumstantial for a second, not because it's not important, but because we all inherently and intuitively understand how that connection's made. The non-circumstantial one is something I'm always on the lookout for. And most of the people at that speaker bureau, admittedly, had kind of had the circumstantial thing. I mean, they had been through some of the craziest stuff you've ever imagined. I don't even want to share it today because I don't want to bring people down. Yeah, Lucas was different. I went to Lucas and I met him for the first time. Like, this guy's just like me. And we actually grew up 30 minutes from each other. That's the weirdest part. Just like me. Grew up in a good area, good family, all this kind of stuff. He wrote a book, Shameless Plug, called My Perfect Life, How Depression Almost Ended It. It's a book, before we ever talked about this, a book about how you can have symptoms of mental health issues while still having a perfect life. So here's the thing I look out for, though. If someone has non-circumstantial mental health issues, that doesn't mean that there's not a cause. It means that maybe he didn't have trauma in the the way that we typically expect mental health issues to be um, kind of caused by. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Caused by. And so... I know there's a cause. We all live in this universe where it's a cause and effect thing. If I knock on this table, it makes a sound. And so you have the mental health issues for some reason. You just don't know why. After five years of working with this man, he saw one of my things that I posted for our business. He finally worked with us. We didn't even do the full program with him. He wasn't willing to do this. And so he worked with my girlfriend. Uh, I was the one who got on the call. She was the practitioner with him. In three sessions, a man, because he is a man, he's 31 now, saying that he has been on medication for nine years, mental health symptoms since he was 15 years old, got on video testimonial for us saying this was the best he had felt since 15 years old, and he couldn't believe that it could be that simple. So that is a recent success story that I absolutely love. I've never had someone so skeptical and take so long to do this and then also have such amazing results on top of it. Cause it normally doesn't work that fast. That was, that was incredible. But all this guy needed was some basic nutritional changes, nine years of medication, almost taking his own life, which is crazy to think about looking back yeah. and 15 years of mental health issues in three sessions, feeling better. And, um, he's off meds. That I have no idea what he chose to do with that personally. He, okay. I know when I know when he left that testimonial, he was still on medication. I'm not a doctor. I don't yeah. ever bother with that. I tell people when we first start working together that it's very typical. Uh, this is true to start experiencing side effects from the medications that might have worked with them before because they're actually getting healthier. So yeah. have we had people come off medications for mental health issues specifically doing what I'm talking about? Yes. Do I know if he is? I actually don't know. I haven't asked him. Yeah. Wow. That's a that's a powerful story. <laughs> Um, so as far as nutritional changes, it's just, it's kind of unique to every individual. I guess it depends on what they're already eating, right? Very much so. There's uh, one of my favorite nutrition quotes is good food or sorry, bad food is bad for everyone. Good food is only good for some people. And so one of the basic ways we measure that with the FDN uh, program is food sensitivity testing. And I'm not going to get in necessarily to the nuances of it unless we want to, but a lot of the food sensitivity testing on the market is IgG. If it's the only one you have, cool, run it. It's, it's good to get some insight. But there are much more advanced tests out there now that can look at like hundreds of different ways that your body can be reacting immunologically. And so one of the things that we did with him is remember, he wouldn't he refused to do our full program. He wouldn't pay the money. So he started with the lower program. And in that one, we just do food stuff. So we do something called metabolic typing, and we do something called the MRT food sensitivity test. So uh, one of the things that came up for him was like, eggs, right? Now, I'm a, I'm a lover of eggs. I eat like four, six eggs a day. It works very well for me and my body. But for him, it, do, it doesn't matter if they're organic, pasture-raised, <laughs> grass-fed chickens. I'm joking. I just, Whatever. I, I just <laughs> say they're not grass-fed chickens. I'm just being funny. I know. I vegan it. chickens, right? <laughs> but um, for him, it was bad. It's causing an immune response. That's bad then, even if it's a quote-unquote superfood. And so we're, we're seeing how the body is reacting immunologically, it's not the full picture, but it's a good way to look at that stuff because I can kind of take away the fuel to the fire immediately. And we do now know, this is the clinical literature. This is not hippie science or just functional medicine. Neuroinflammation is an element for people of mental health issues. So when I slow down the gasoline on the fire, if the fire is the inflammation, really what I'm doing is temporarily reducing the inflammation. When you do that, that is when you can see the improvement of symptoms for people. And if you really perfect that and get their lifestyle under control, you can see resolution of symptoms because of that. So yes, we focus on like what you might call 
a modified paleo diet just to get people healing. But then we use the testing to figure out what specifics might work for them. Uh, we're not dogmatic with that, but generally speaking, that's what we've seen to lead to the most consistent results. Wow. That's pretty cool. Um, you know, one thing about food sensitivities I just recently learned, and we can talk about this a, a little bit as we wind sure. this podcast up. Maybe we could have you on a podcast to just talk about food sensitivity sometime. Um, but one thing I just recently learned from a uh, functional medicine pharmacist that we interviewed a few weeks ago, maybe last week, is that when the body's super inflamed, this totally made sense and I never thought about it, but when the body's super inflamed and you first test them for food sensitivities, they'll be allergic to a lot of things. Mm -hmm. But as you put those fires out and the body becomes less inflamed, you can actually eat some of those foods again and they're not you know, sensitive to them. You want to you want to comment yeah. on that? Yeah, great. Well, great point because I actually appreciate getting to do that because that's becoming more and more common knowledge, and people are hearing it about things like uh, like that on this podcast. So that was one of the multiple elements that I was trying to kind of blanket when I said it's not the full picture, right? But it's part of it. So the MRT specifically, the reason I like using that is because you won't get a bunch of those like lit up like a Christmas uh, Christmas tree type okay. of thing, right? It has um, a very high specificity rate, so it's really good at that. But what that person said is true. I'm not denying what they said at all. What's happening is, right, as the gut gets leaky, as the body's generally inflamed, it starts attacking everything that it perceives to be an issue. And one of the things that happens is when your gut is leaky, which anyone with chronic illness is going to have some level of intestinal permeability that they shouldn't have, when those food proteins go into the bloodstream, the body is under stress and it says, whoa, that's not supposed to be in here. We better attack that. Now, it's a food protein. It was harmless. But the issue is most foods that we eat, we eat fairly regularly, especially things like dairy and wheat. Most people have cereal for breakfast, a sandwich for lunch and pasta for dinner. So you're covering both of those three times a day minimum right? Probably more than three times a day if you're snacking. And so imagine if your body creates this immune response to something, and now you're feeding that five, six, seven times a day, If you're again, including snacks. And so it's just over and over again, lit up, lit up, lit up. And the body's like, what are we doing wrong? Right. So it just starts going after everything, trying to put out that fire to its, uh, to really no success, right? Because if you're not doing the other stuff, it doesn't work. So with Lucas right now, we're talking about working to that higher level stuff with the labs, because yes, if you heal the gut, if you work on the other things, you absolutely can reintroduce many different foods. In fact, I would go as far as to say you can introduce the majority of foods, assuming that you don't have an allergy. Some people uh, will not be able to uh, introduce dairy again. Yeah. Almost none will have, like, especially autoimmune patients, they won't have a lot of success with the gluten thing either unless they're in, like, um, international. Like, if they're in Europe, it seems to work. USA, I, I don't know if I'd mess with that. But there's 170-something things tested on that MRT. I have seen almost everything get implemented again, minus the, the wheat and sometimes dairy. So, yeah, absolutely true that it can be healed. Yeah, it just shows, again, how, you know, if we take care of our bodies and put the right stuff in it, we can be healthier long-term and add other stuff later. I mean, so if you're going to go strict, you know, I, I'm a big, you know, when I, when I, when I think about anti-inflammatory diets, I think the, the most anti-inflammatory diet I can think of is a carnivore diet. Cool. Um, I know there's some people that are against it, but I mean, I've never, and you can comment on this. I've never seen somebody that's allergic to red meat. Some people are allergic to chicken. Some people are allergic to pork, but I've never seen somebody sensitive to red meat. So, um, I mean, a strict elimination diet, eat red meat and, and until your body kind of heals and maybe add some things later. I think that's a, that's a great, that's a great elimination diet to, to, um, you know, to weed out any sensitivities. Yeah. It's an interesting point about the beef because you're right. The only time I've ever seen, and you can argue this isn't even normal. Um, some people, when they get Lyme disease, they'll end up developing like a long-term sensitivity to beef, but even that isn't usually an allergy. And, and you're right. I don't see that one frequently. So the thing is too, People will say, well, our ancestors had a variety of stuff. Uh, okay, I'm not arguing you. I agree with that. You need to adopt to what we're doing in today's world. Today's world is, this is not, I'm not fear-mongering. This is not a good situation. Because plants typically, for example, like a lot of the vegans will advocate this, right? They have nutrients. Okay, true. But plants, when they undergo photosynthesis, also absorb toxins from the environment. They are detoxifiers for our environment. They pick up heavy metals from the soil. They pick up all the crap from the soil. So here's an issue. 
The plants have less nutrition than ever before because we've destroyed our soil, but they still have the ability to pick up the toxins. So the plants are more toxic than ever before. They're less nutritious. So it's like would the carnivore thing have been something that our ancestors did long-term in the past? Probably not. But what you're saying I think is accurate because in today's world, you lose a lot of that toxic load because uh, especially ironically, even though organ meats are great, if you're not sourcing them correctly, organ meats would be where you're handling a lot of the toxins. So the the muscle right. meat of a, of a calf or a cow is not going to be like, filled with toxins, even if it's lower quality meat. I'm not recommending getting low quality meat. I'm just saying people kind of overhype that. The meat's still the meat. Like it's not being stored in that kind of stuff. And so I've I've seen it work wonders for people. And I like what you worded as. It's an elimination diet. Let's get you feeling better rapidly because some people will feel better rapidly. Um, and if you're on carnivore, let's be honest, you're, you're almost certainly going to get into a state of ketosis, which is anti-inflammatory. So for right. someone that might be coming from standard American and sick to carnivore ketosis, you can change your whole life in two weeks doing something like that. You might feel the best you've ever felt. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is true. Yeah. Um, well, and I, you know, on that subject, I, I think one of the things we forget about plants is that, you know, as, animals like cows or elk or, you know, any herding animal, um, th th their bodies are more developed to um, digest those plants. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they've got rumens and, you know, different digestive um, processes than, than we do as humans. Now, as humans, I do believe we're omnivores. I don't believe we're, ob we're not obligate carnivores. Um, and, we're, and we're definitely not, you know, um, vegans, um, you know, so I think, you know, having a well-rounded diet is good. Um, but I also think that probably being heavier on, on meat is probably even better because use those animals to detoxify those plants that have become toxic. I mean, animals have been doing that for thousands of years. And, you know, we can use them um, to, to do their process so we're not eating the toxic plants. Yeah, no, and I, I appreciate you saying that you believe in the past that it was probably more of an omnivore thing. That That's kind of what we see. I mean, if you go back to Weston A. Price days when he was studying the indigenous tribes, you, you did see omnivores. Now, these are people that don't have or didn't have connection with Western society. They're not being taught what to eat in nutrition school. They didn't get uh, forced no. to eat a certain way or go to the grocery store. This is what these humans did naturally. And he found that the only the only thing that was uh, true across the board for them is they all ate animal products. <laughs> that was the only consistency. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I will argue, you know, and I, I get a lot of flack for this um, because there's so many diets that have become religions. Mm -hmm. and, and you'll see it in ketosis. Keto, um, um, keto diet has become a religion for some people. Mm -hmm. And if you start talking, you know, any kind of negative stuff about, keep, uh, um, you know, uh, keep, uh, ketogenic diet, you just get haters out there. Well, and, and, and vegans are about the same too. And, um, I will argue that there's, there's never been a, a, um, culture or a tribe or a, a group of people that sustain themselves on fruit and vegetables alone. I, I, I think it's very, very difficult. Yeah. And I can still sympathize with it. I remember being I was probably six years old and it, because it stuck out in my mind. Um, my parents have about like three acres surrounded by farmland and my dad's a mild hunter, doesn't hunt that often, but we do it like once a year. And uh, sometimes his buddies would come over to the yard because there's deer everywhere where I live. I mean, it's, it's a joke. You could just go out there and blindfold with a blindfold and shoot and you might hit something. And so he'd have his, his buddies over. And I remember I was like in the, I, I was in the bathroom, I guess. And I was six years old and you could pop out the window and like kind of look. And so I heard the gunshot and it like scared me. Right. And so I look up above the window and I just saw a deer lying down. That is still in my head 21 years later because of how much I hated that personally. So I actually, for whatever it's worth to the listeners that maybe um, give some flack sometimes, I did the vegan thing and they say, oh, well, you were probably eating vegan popcorn and other crap. No, I wasn't. I was doing Whole Foods. It was 100% organic, mostly local, actually, because I was very blessed to have a store that would allow for that near me. And did I get a little better? I did get a little better. But I never got to where I was today, where I could say I have 
diagnosed conditions that no longer exist in my body anymore. Uh, that was from modified paleo and doing things correctly and getting in and out of ketosis, doing some fasting and stuff like that. So I am probably the first person, and my girlfriend laughs at me because it's like the opposite. Like normally the guy would be like, oh, I want the steak and stuff. My girlfriend, dude, she she grew up on a farm. She'll go eat the steak rare at the at the um <laughs> your restaurant or whatever, doesn't care, makes me look like the non-man in the relationship. But I tell her straight up, if I could ever find a way that I could be vegan, like and genuinely not hurt the animals and still be healthy, uh, I would be the first to line up for that. I have not found the way to do that yet. Uh, not even close, to be honest. So we need to uh, yeah. think about our own health too. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's very difficult I, I, um, to be healthy and just not eat meat. I think it's really, really difficult. There are just certain things um, that we get from, you know, especially beef, especially red meat, um, beef or uh, other um, animals like it, unlike chicken, is that you know, is the iron, and a lot of times, you know, it, it's it's hemed iron. It's already, that's why it's red because it's, it, you know, it's iron the way our bodies um, have it. And there is no better way to increase your iron stores than eating um, red meat. Um, yeah. And you can typically see it in vegans. Vegans are usually pale and you check their blood work. They, they have low iron stores. Mm -hmm. And, and the answer is, you know, don't give iron infusions or take oral iron supplements. I mean, eat red meat. I mean, that, that's really the answer. Yeah, it's it's sad too because I think every now and then someone will get referenced as being like a 10-year vegan, which by the way is actually quite rare. If you really look into it, there's not that many people that do this for over a decade, but every now and then there are. And I had two people in my life. Uh, one was named Angelo. And so he owned a juice bar in my town. I, and God bless both these people I'm about to mention. I love them to death, love them to death. Angelo made it to, I think, 61 years old. Oh, no, sorry. He was 59. My other friend was 61. So he's 59, owned this store. I went in all the time, dedicated to the vegan thing, died of a heart attack at 59 years old. So didn't even make it to life expectancy and look at right. how we operate in America. And then my friend Connie, this one, uh, man, this one hit a lot harder because like Angelo was a friend that I knew in business. Like I'd go to a store and we'd talk, whatever. We never hung out afterwards. Connie, she's my 61 year old friend. We have spoken together professionally, like did local talks in town. I did a bunch of fun stuff. We just hang out. We had a great time. She's very eccentric like me. And uh, Connie passed away uh, around New Year's, 10 year raw vegan. And it cured her cancer when she first had it. She had breast cancer, did the raw vegan thing down at Hippocrates Health Institute in Florida. And she did cure the cancer. She did not do any Western medicine intervention. But I always tried to tell her, I'm like, well, maybe that was a wonderful thing to detoxify. And you were doing the highest quality of the highest quality raw vegan you could possibly do. Do you think that maybe that was just a season in your life and doing things a little uh, more like mixed, you know, having some variety would be a good idea, but she came from standard American. So of course she thinks well, that they're all vegan. Exactly. That's one of the, yeah. When vegans say, well, I got better, you know, when I went vegan, well, anybody gets better if you change from the standard American diet. Yeah. It's pretty hard to, yeah. Pretty hard to get worse after that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. So, and so many of the people that I know that are doing the health stuff, they got nothing to worry about. If this was someone who, and she had some other health issues that came up in the last two years, but she wouldn't give the raw vegan thing up. And I'm not condemning my friend who's passed away because I get it. If you had cancer, scares the crap out of you. Yeah. And then yeah. you find something that did work. Of course, you're going to stick to that. And yeah. Bush, she took it to her grave. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, but like she's 61, Angelo's 59. These are the only two people that I know in my life out of all the colleagues that I have that do this stuff that have done the vegan thing for over 10 years. And both of them passed away over 10 years before life expectancy. Like that's just, it is what it is. So we need to be realistic with this stuff. I think it is a beautiful and very admirable thing that some people are so invested in the vegan thing that they are doing it solely because they care about animals that much. You are a blessed person and I respect that, but there's also natural selection in this world. And if we are doing the vegan thing so far that we are hurting our own health, uh, causing infertility and doing those types of things, well, that's natural selection at its finest. Yeah. It's going to rule us out and the cow is going to win. <laughs> well, and you could argue, and in fact, I don't know if you, have you heard of Rob Wolf? Absolutely. I got his book. Yeah. I, I've interviewed him a couple of times, hopefully going to meet him in person this week. Um, you know, he um, talks a lot about sustainability and, and, you know, he talks about, um, you know, e eating, eating a uh, meat. And he also talks about, I, I can't remember the gal's name that he wrote that book with um, sustainable farming, or I, I can't remember the name. Um, 
but anyway, she, I think her name's Diane, but, um, you know, people don't realize, and I, I grew up in, agri- I, I'm a, I live in an agriculture community. So big farming community, you know, I mean, every crop, cause we have not every crop, but, um, we have lots of water and irrigation, so we can grow pretty much everything because we get a lot of sunshine too. Um, there's some crops that won't make it, um, you know, that, that they will in California or Florida, you know, because we, we just live too far north, but in Washington. But, um, you know, farmers do everything they kill, can to kill every rodent, every animal, everything, every bird. I mean, I've been, I've been in a farmer's field where a, a friend who was a hunter and he was uh, a farmer would call him up sometimes and say, hey, the pigeons are, you know, bothering my crops. Come out and shoot them. And we'd go out there and we'd shoot a couple hundred pigeons in three hours. <laughs> you know, I mean, life, yeah. and that that's because it was ruining their crop. So, you know, and I get it. I mean, you know, um, people don't want to be cruel to animals, but just to think that plants, the way that we farm now, mass farming we we have to uh, we have to destroy animals to to make the crop successful. Well, that's my gosh, man! This gets into almost like a philosophical thing that I've had to work through with myself. It's like no matter what I do here, I've realized this. This is actually what helped me get back to meat because it was not only helping my own health, but I was able to, no pun intended, digest it a little better f- philosophically. I have been put into a world, and so is anyone listening to this or watching this, we have been put into a world where for whatever reason, by simply participating in it, driving your damn car, mowing your lawn, we hurt other things. And I have questions about that. I don't like it either, but it is what it is. And then so the the question after that is, all right, well, how can I do the most good? Um, well, I can do the most good when I'm the healthiest. That's for damn sure, right? And right. I'm not saying go do the factory farm me, and I know you're definitely not advocating for that either. Like, I try to buy from these farms that I know the farmer, man, and I know what they're doing at the farm. And yes, no, an animal's still being killed and I'm not lessening that. But there is a difference because I've seen the factory farms when I drove through Texas. I had read about those for years. Then I saw one in real life. I'm like, the real life thing does nothing. Or sorry, the online stuff does nothing compared to seeing that in real life and how crazy that is. There is a difference between an animal being in a factory farm their entire life versus one that had an excellent life and then um, was promptly and precisely killed when it was time to do that. There is a difference there. So we can be healthy, try to do the most good that we can, and just try to work through how we've been subject to this crazy world where it's like, it's kind of a battle here. Like we're always, we're always going to be doing something if we're participating in it. And I, I think when it comes to diet though, I think we tend to, you know, to, um, overcomplicate it because it, it is pretty simple. And when you talk about paleo, that's kind of why, um, I like paleo the most because it's, it's just pretty simple. Just eat, you know, try to eat real food mm-hmm. and try to eat like, you know, our ancestors did, you know, 200 years ago, you know, or 500 years ago. And what is that? And then you can also get into the ancestral diet versus, you know, someone that's Norwegian versus somebody that's, yep. you know, lived in the middle of Africa, you know, probably didn't eat much fish. So, but my wife's Norwegian. I mean, her history, she loves fish. She's, she's, we don't eat a lot of it because I'm not a big fan of fish, but, um, you know, I mean, just eat like our ancestors did. I mean, I think there's a, you know, there, there's something to be said about that. Well, and then there's that seasonal, because this mixes in perfectly with what you just said, there's that seasonal and geographic component, because going back to Weston A. Price, and the only reason I'm referencing him, it's not like he was uh, the pure authority on nutrition, but it's really some of the best information that we have on what indigenous tribes actually did. And what was interesting is when he went up to Nunavut, Canada, and saw what they ate, they were like 90%. 90% animal products, seal, seal fat, whale blubber. Yeah, right. So that's interesting. But then when he went to the equatorial regions, some of those places ate 70% plants. And so I think there's an ancestral right. aspect, but there's also the geographic and seasonal aspect. Yeah. Now, we ha- we actually have to be in season ourselves. And I, I make that joke, but it's like, okay, 
is you say, well, oh, yeah, it's in season up in Nunavut, Canada to be eating, <clears throat> excuse me, a bunch of whale blubber and animal fat. Well, not if you live inside in your cozy place. It's be, There's things that happen in the body and in the mitochondria when we're exposed to cold temperatures that actually allow for you to eat that kind of stuff. And similarly, your insulin sensitivity goes up when you're exposed to UV light from uh, the sun. So if you're living on the equator but in an air-conditioned box, no, that's not seasonal. That, that's seasonal for the crop, no, not for right, you. Right. Yeah, we got to be seasonal too. And it's, it is, I've done these experiments. I, this is crazy, but you'll probably respect this because you're into health as well. Obviously when the pandemic started, I wanted to do this experiment forever. And I'm like, I can't do this because it wasn't practical with life, but the pandemic, I took advantage of it. I camped for 60 days and I, I slept inside seven nights out of 60 because of lightning storms, um, where I live, but the other 53, I slept outside. I never spent more time in the sun. I'd never spent more time in nature. The stuff that I could do diet wise what it would have broken me out in winter. I would have felt like crap. I did that in right. summer. It's like I could eat anything I wanted almost. And so there, there's a component here of the, the seasonality and the geography. Um, and we just don't think about any of that, but it's really pretty damn simple. If you just started with, okay, what are whole foods? Cool. We can, we can figure that out. Single ingredient stuff, right? What would be growing seasonally and what would naturally grow in my geographic region? Because Pennsylvania does not have banana trees, my friends. So, right. <laughs> you know, yeah, well, and another thing to even think about is, you know, talking about the 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 whale whale seal blubber, all that stuff that's really really high in fat, high in calories, you know, very calorically dense. Well, in the winter when it's cold, that's what you need to burn your furnace. And by the way, when you're chasing them with spears, you need a lot of calories afterwards. You're right? Yeah, I think it's I easy mean, to take down a whale. Like, yeah, it's <laughs> a lot know. of work. <laughs> yeah. So, well, and, and largely. Well, we, and we didn't have storage like we had. I mean, there were ways to preserve um, food, meat, and fruits and vegetables with salt for, you know, for, for millennia. Mm -hmm. um, but largely, we didn't have this, you know, we didn't have refrigeration. Refrigeration is only 100 years old. I mean, think about that. Mm -hmm. And I also think that, you know, is it any surprise because of the way that we've been able to refrigerate foods and store foods? Is any surprise that obesity is at an all-time high? Probably not. I mean, you got to look at, you know, the, the the true paleo diets. They didn't have food to store. They might have had some berries and stuff in season, you know, a little bit stored, but they didn't have much between hunts. So they would feast after a hunt, you know, for, for a day. And then they would probably fast for two or three days. Right. I mean, largely. Yeah. So we're, I mean, yeah, that's, and these are all just examples. We are so disconnected. It's yeah. like, you know, we, we, now we call it intermittent fasting. It's yeah. That was called daily life. It's called famine, right? Because you <laughs> yeah, right. Like, now we name it and people make money by selling it. Right. I, and you know what? I have it in my book too. That's the worst part. So it's just like hilarious that these are like revolutionary concepts now. Um, and that's where it's kind of funny. Our, again, it's more of a philosophical thing, but I, I look at how often our intellect can be to our own detriment. Because, I mean, think about many, how many people, it's, it's wonderful that we can do this on technology. Well, we might never meet in person, but we can do this podcast super easily and then move on to our next thing, which is beautiful. At the same time, we also know that technology is killing us in a certain way. I'm sitting right now, instead of being at the standing desk, not a great idea. I got the artificial light just so that there's some extra stuff on me while I'm doing this on video. And so it's like, hilarious. We invent all this stuff and then have to figure out how to work through it because it's not in alignment with what we were supposed to do. It, it's really, it's quite an interesting dilemma when you think about it. Um, and you probably know this guy, the Dr. Jack Cruz guy, he said, human beings are the only animals smart enough to invent artificial light and dumb enough to live under it. But I think you could, you could say the same stuff and replace artificial light with just a bunch of other things like exercise. Yeah, sure. I mean, sure. I mean, think about it. I mean, exercise and, and uh, you know, let's, and let's just get a little more in detail. Sure. I mean, gyms, gyms are literally probably, I mean, the, you know, the biggest industry as big as it is now is literally, it's, it's, it's a 50 year old industry. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, a hundred years ago, if you talked to, you know, my great grandparents, Hey, Hey grandpa, what do you, what do you do for exercise? Uh, well, I walked to work for four miles for one. And then at work, I have a physical job. So exercise, I mean, really, what is that? Yeah. Yeah. And even in, um, and it's, it's interesting because it's actually a book that if anything promotes more veganism than not, but there's that book uh, called the blue zones where he studied yeah. the different areas where there's the disproportionate amount of centenarians. And one of the things, because there was many correlations, not causation, but there was many things that they looked at in those people. Um, so the diet stuff was interesting, but then also 
most people worked, quote unquote, worked until very late in their life, um, or they did biking, or they did minor weightlifting, moderate weightlifting. And so they stayed active. And it, it comes down to the use it or lose it type of thing, right? If you tell the body, sure. and how many, there's studies on showing when people retire, they actually pass away. That's not a coincidence. If you take away someone per, someone's purpose, if they think that their work is part of their purpose, and then you make them completely sedentary when they would have had to do stuff normally, it's not a great idea, right? My dad, um, and I love him, I'm not, I'm not poking at him. He's not into the health stuff like my mom and I smokes two packs of cigarettes a day, never had a reason to worry about health yet. And I, I believe in prevention, but of course we all know from firsthand experience, uh, prevention's easy in hindsight. It's not so easy when you're feeling good and doing whatever you want. Right. But what that man does though, he's been a landscaper since he was 17 and he works outside six to seven days a week, every single week for years. He, he doesn't even look related to me. He literally looks like he's Puerto Rican. He is so <laughs> yeah, right. dark. His skin's leather. And and here's the thing, though. So his vitamin D is obviously through the roof. He's getting that natural light. He's working in the ground, right? Because you can ground, obviously, just by working with soil and stuff like yeah. that, even if he's wearing boots. And so, you know, I'm not... I'm not, I'm not recommending pick, people pick up smoking, but there's all these different things that we can do. And it's kind of interesting to see what human beings actually can survive when we got all that stuff right. You can have a man in his 50s still smoking two packs a day that can go run a mile and do pull-ups um, and doesn't eat right just because yeah. he has one main section right, which is being outside all day long. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, um, I think those are just things that, you know, we, we just – like you say, we're just so disconnected in our, in our daily life. We just forget about, we, we make it way too complicated. Mm. Um, you know, but I, I guess some, some of the things is because of technology, I think one of the ways we complicate it is, you know, because there's so much information out there. Um, but I just, you know, I, I tell people is, you know, you need to keep it simple and just move, move your bodies, sleep. And, and I do believe that we need to sleep during the night. We're not made to work at night. And right. I, I, I tell people that, um, and, um, you know, eat, eat good food. I mean, that, that's really the three things we need to do to keep our bodies healthy. Yeah. I mean, it's a, a recent issue. It's a current issue. I have a, a minorly like fractured rib from sports and stuff. And it's been about two weeks. Now, remember I have a lot of work at home, so it's easy for me to sit all day and just do this. And if anyone's ever had a cracked rib, like it can even be hard to like just walk normally. So I've been way sedentary even right now, even right now, as we're talking, and I've just gotten used to the feeling a little bit, a little lightheaded. I felt a little faint like the last week or so. This was only a week at that point of taking off. And I started to feel the side effects to the point where like right now I'm just tired. The last thing I'd want to do is go work out. And I'm like, wait, what, what are you talking about? Like my routine two weeks ago was jujitsu, boxing, weightlifting, and pickleball. Sometimes two of those in a day all week. And then in two weeks, just changing that movement aspect, I'm already feeling like, ah, man, I don't want to go do that stuff. I'm feeling tired. It's like, dude, you're not tired. You actually need to go out and, and, and do move it. the body. Yeah. yeah. So, so, but yeah. imagine people that get injured for six months. No wonder they never come back from it. Like I, two weeks is driving me crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. This has been, a, this is a great um, podcast, Evan. We, we, we may or may not have went on some tangents. I don't know, but we talked about a lot of good stuff. So that's the important thing. Um, as we wind this podcast up, um, Evan, tell us what you have a passion for. be harder to think of what I don't have a passion for. I'm, I'm kidding. But if I had to summarize it into one, uh, it's leveling the playing field of, of information. And so that was actually my catchphrase in uh, the health coach up show. When I used to do that, leveling the playing field means this, I believe in freedom. So if you go to your doctor and you have an autoimmune illness, I think you should be able to take a pill. I think you should be able to get a surgery if you want to pay for it. But what is not okay to me is for you not to get to hear stories that are on my current podcast, Functional Diagnostic Nutrition, your stuff, which I'm sure has plenty of stories like this, or get to read the books or get to know what they can do lifestyle-wise. That's not a level playing field. So it's a level playing field in that. And it's also a level playing field. Like I said, I enjoy mindset stuff and success. It's a level playing field in that as well. The stuff books-wise and literature-wise and audio-wise, I was given at 18 or still stuff I consume to this day. It has led to things career-wise that don't make any sense. Right. Like I, I'm certainly not that special. I like to believe I'm a cool person, but I'm not that special. And so I think people get told a lot of BS narratives. They get told this is just how it is with health. This is yeah. just how it is with work. You're going to go work for 40 years and shut your mouth and make 50K a year. And you're going to hate every second of it, but you got to do it. Now, nah, I don't buy that. I think people should have the right to have all the information and know what can be done and then make an informed decision from there. I'm not telling you to do anything. I just think you should have all the information. So I am at this phase in my life, 
very passionate about that on both the health front and the personal development side front. I love it. So what's the best way if somebody has any questions or wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way? Uh, please reach out to us just at FDN training. Um, I, I like to keep it simple. We literally DM on Instagram. So it's at FDN, like functional diagnostic nutrition training on Instagram. We have real people there. I answer stuff. Joe Pay answers stuff. You might see her. Uh, but if you tell them you're looking for Evan, that's a good way to do it. And then if you just go to functionaldiagnosticnutrition.com, um, everywhere on there, I do Instagram lives, podcast for them. So uh, it'd be harder to miss me than to find me if you go there. <laughs> awesome. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much today, Evan, for being on our show. You, you've definitely helped us realize our goal, which is to educate and empower individuals to take charge of their own health. And that's basically what we've done today. So I really appreciate it. Yeah. And thank you for having me. I'm sorry that we had uh, the scheduling issue and that this got plopped in. Um, it's just a random thing. It was no one's no, fault. It worked, this worked out perfect. No, yeah, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, no apologies necessary. So, listeners and viewers, thank you for tuning in today to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Tune in later this week. I'll be honest with you, we're not sure yet what exact time. Usually it's Thursday, 8 to 9 a.m. for our regularly scheduled midweek podcast. But my wife and I are traveling this week and we're meeting a lot of guests. And hopefully, we're going to meet Rob Wolf, who's been on our podcast a couple times. Um, so that's going to maybe change our schedule a little bit, but stay tuned because we are going to be over the next week, we're going to be meeting like eight different podcast guests that we've had in the in the past. We're going to be going to uh, the Flathead Valley in Montana near Whitefish. Nice. We have a lot of, lot of podcast guests there for some reason because it's cool to live there, I guess. So stay tuned for that and stay tuned for our upcoming podcast. Thank you listeners and viewers for tuning into Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Thank you.